the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Connors, got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized in 2012 as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. getting old and paunchy and his hair was falling fast and he sat around the legion telling stories of the past of a war that he had fought in and the deeds that he had done in his exploits with his buddies they were heroes everyone and though sometimes to his neighbors his tales became a joke all his legion buddies listened, for they knew whereof he spoke. But we'll hear his tales no longer, for old Bill has passed away. The world's a little poorer, for a soldier died today. He will not be mourned by many, just his children and his wife. For he lived an ordinary and quite uneventful life. And held a job and raised a family, quietly going his own way. And the world won't note his passing. Though a soldier died today. When politicians leave this earth, their bodies lie in state. While thousands note their passing and proclaim that they were great. Papers tell their whole life stories from the time that they were young. But the passing of a soldier goes unnoticed and unsung. Is the greatest contribution to the welfare of our land a guy who breaks his promise and cons his fellow man? Or the ordinary fellow, who in times of war and strife goes off to serve his country and offers up his life. A politician's stipend and the style in which he lives are sometimes disproportionate to the service that he gives. While the ordinary soldier, who has offered up his all, is paid off with a medal perhaps a pension, small. It's so easy to forget them, for it was so long ago that the old bills of our country went to battle. But we know it was not the politicians with their compromises and ploys who won for us the freedom that our country now enjoys. Should you find yourself in danger with your enemies at hand, would you want a politician with his ever-shifting stand? Or would you prefer a soldier who has sworn to defend his home, his kin and country, and would fight until the end? He was just a common soldier, 
and his ranks are growing thin. But his presence should remind us we may need his life again. For when countries are in conflict, then we find the soldier's part is to clean up all the troubles that the politicians start. If we cannot do him honor while he's here to hear the prayers, then at least let's give him homage at the ending of his days. Perhaps just a simple headline in a paper that would say, our country is in mourning for a soldier died. That was our friend Tony Lobianco, his tribute to veterans. And, 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 you know, we just, Veterans Day just passed. And the idea behind Veterans Day is to honor those veterans who are still alive. You know, Memorial Day is for those veterans who passed away who gave their lives for the defense of this country. And people should distinguish between the two. Veterans, that's the time to, to thank, especially the living veterans, while we still can do it. And Tony is a, you know, a truly patriotic American who appreciates the sacrifices that, especially the greatest generation, what they gave in World War II. And, and you know, I think this year was especially sad for us because we lost a lot of our friends who were World War II veterans over this past, you know, eight months or whatever. And it's it was very, very, very sad, hard, very including hard. one of our guests at bars, you know, one of our frequent guests at bars passed away this summer. So, you know, and listen, every one of these guys was well over 95. So it wasn't tragic, but it's still... Sad for us. It's sad, yeah. It's sad that uh, so many veterans passed away, you know, in the last months. Now, again, for those of you who haven't listened to the show, you're saying, what's the show about? Well, I'm Mike Connors, Connors and Sullivan. The show's about estate planning and elder law ordinarily. Today, we're, we're talking about history and statues and veterans. And... We do estate planning and elder law. The idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. With me today, my wife, Beth. Hello, everybody. And my son, Michael. Hello, everyone. Now, Michael, you just uploaded our seminar. We used to do seminars all the time you know, at different restaurants and hotels and things like that and for different groups. But, Michael, if somebody wants to, to, to listen to our seminar right now, how do they do it? If you want to find our seminar online, you can go to YouTube.com and just search for Connors & Sullivan Video Seminar. That's Connors & Sullivan Video Seminar, and you should be taken right to it. We've uploaded it because, of course, in these times, it's very hard for people to gather together, and it's made it impossible for us to do the seminars that usually help educate people on why estate planning can be so important, um, especially in a crazy year like this. Okay, and then the second part of the show, we talk about politics, history, religion, um, and we're going to be talking a little bit about history, and, and, you know, we're going to take a step back now that the election's over and take a step back on statues. And we're going to have a couple of friends of ours uh, on the show, you know, Tony Lobianco is a friend, and from the Civil War Roundtable, Pat Fauci is a friend. He played General A.P. Hill in the movie Gettysburg, and he's greatly involved in, in Civil War personalities and preserving history and preserving, you know, what what the Civil War really was about. Our other guest today is Surf Maltese, who is a state senator from uh, Queens, for about 20 years. And it, by the way, you know, we, we've talked to a few uh, Catholic War veterans over the last few weeks. Marvin Jeffcoat and, and Surf Maltese was a, you know, Catholic War veteran. He served in the Korean War. And, uh, you know, very remarkable man. And, and we owe, this country owes him a debt of gratitude. But he's going to be talking about his perspective as the son of an Italian immigrant. His father was born in Italy. And his family, and he's going to review it briefly, had horrendous things happen to him 
in the early part of uh, this century. His his grandfather, and he'll, and he'll talk about it, and nobody does it better than he does. So we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking to Pat Falsey about Civil War monuments. We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death, and it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. Uh, you know, Confederate generals, they're in the news more now than they have been in, you know, over 150 years. And, of course, there's a lot of talk about taking monuments down, renaming Fort. And to discuss the matter, we decided to bring in General A.P. Hill himself, also known as Pat Fauci. And the reason we say that is because Pat played General A.P. Hill in the movie Gettysburg. Welcome to Connor's Corner, Pat. Thank you, Michael, and uh, thank you so much for including me in this conversation about monuments and uh, forts. Okay, now in Richmond right now, they took down a lot of monuments. Is the monument to A.P. Hill down yet? Uh, No, and it's interesting, too, because he's special completely unique of all the other monuments in Richmond, which was, we well know, was the capital of the Confederacy, he actually is buried underneath that monument. So that is a grave where he is. Matter of fact, um, you know they want to take it down. The base of the statue has already been uh, desecrated with vandalism and all graffiti and everything. But uh, A.P. Hill is on the hit parade, so to speak. But right now there's something going on that I am involved in being that, you know, I have a reputation in the uh, Civil War community as, you know, portraying General A.P. Hill and keeping his memory alive. But before the hierarchy, so to speak, in Richmond decided to take down that monument, and who knows what they may do with A.P. Hill's remains at the base of that monument, I've been in touch with a descendant of A.P. Hill and also been in touch with a uh, funeral director in Richmond. And by working together, we are hoping that uh, we get permission to get the remains of A.P. Hill brought to Hollywood Cemetery, where at one point he was buried in there, and finally he can rest in peace, hopefully for all eternity. And so uh, right now I'm involved in that. So uh, like I said, he's on a hit parade. And uh, last man standing, but the last statue that actually is on Monument Avenue is General Robert E. Lee, who is on Traveler. Before we go too much further, Hollywood Cemetery, where is that? It's not Hollywood, California. No, Hollywood Cemetery is in Richmond. It's called the Place of Heroes. Jeb Stewart is buried there. President Jefferson Davis is buried there. James J. Archer is buried there. Fitzgerald Lee is buried there. Harry Heath is buried there. There's a section called uh, Gettysburg, where many of the remains of the soldiers that fought with the Army of Northern Virginia, who died at the Battle of Gettysburg, were transferred. Formed, you know, transported over to uh, Hollywood Cemetery in the Gettysburg section. And a matter of fact, General Pickett is buried there also. And um, A.P. Hill was buried there at one point because after he was killed on April 2nd, 1865, they wanted to bring him to Richmond and be buried in Hollywood Cemetery right near Jeb Stewart. But being that uh, the Union forces were going through the Capitol, and so they couldn't bring, you know, bury him there, so they wanted to bring him to Culpeper which was 100 miles away. That's where A.P. Hill was born. So they buried A.P. Hill on um, April the 4th in a private cemetery, the Winston Cemetery in Chesterfield County, just uh, on the border with uh, Chesterfield and Richmond. And then a few years later, in 1867, they moved him to Hollywood Cemetery, and he was buried there until 1891 when they moved his remains and put him at the base of a monument, which they officially unveiled 
on uh, May 30th, 1892. And that's where he's been ever since. All right. Now, also, you know, in the news right now, the Senate passed a bill not that long ago voting to change the name of forts that were, you know, that were named in, in honor of Confederate generals. Like I served in Fort Gordon, Georgia, when I was in the service. And, of course, there is a Fort A.P. Hill and so forth well, and so on. I've been there what? many times, Michael. What? I've been there. I, I've, been, I've done four special programs for the United States Army at Fort A.P. Hill. Matter of fact, um, I'm proud to say that I've received four medals of uh, excellence given to me by the commander. And I also received a special medal given to me by a member of the Pentagon for my programs at Fort A.P. Hill. But Fort A.P. Hill has such an illustrious history because... To change that name of that fort would do dishonor to not only the, the uh, fort, to, to the A.P. Hill name itself, but all those soldiers who train here. Because actually, Fort A.P. Hill was named by the uh, U.S. Army War College. They went through all this list of great military leaders, and they came up with A.P. Hill. Because A.P. Hill... Yes, he was in the Confederate, but he was also he was a graduate of West Point. He fought in the Mexican War. He fought in, the, uh, in Florida. And uh, he was in the U.S. Army, and he was, uh, also worked for the U.S. Navy. And he was a master of the artillery early on in his career. And when he became a, a Confederate soldier, he had such an illustrious career that from the rank of colonel to major general in only three months and gradually became a lieutenant general, and, um, you know, he was on the lips of General Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson on their deathbeds. They both called out for General A.P. Hill. But the amazing thing about A.P. Hill is that when it finally became uh, A.P. Hill Military Reservation in 1941, General Patton, General Patton trained his own soldiers at A.P. Hill Military Reservation and took those soldiers that he trained there over to defeat the Nazis during World War II. I mean, it, it is such a vast area. It's part of the military district of Washington, D.C. They train artillery there. They train tanks there. Even today, all the branches of the military are trained at Fort A.P. Hill. You have the Army. You have the Navy. You have the Air Force. You have uh, Marines. A matter of fact, uh, the Navy SEALs are also being trained at Fort A.P. Hill. During the Korean War, it became camp. A.P. Hill. During the Vietnam War, it became Fort A.P. Hill, and the soldiers that we have out in the field today are trained at Fort A.P. Hill. There are sections of the fort that have mock-ups of cities in the Middle East. They even have a mock-up of the uh, metro system of Washington, D.C., because all our military are trained at Fort A.P. Hill. A matter of fact, their slogan is, where America's military sharpens its combat edge. So that's why they should not change the name of A.P. Hill. And let me mention one more thing. A.P. Hill was not a slave owner. He fought for Virginia. His families were merchants. He was against slavery from the get-go. And uh, like I said, he left uh, the Union Army because he wanted to uh, defend Virginia, home, family, Virginia. That was what A.P. Hill was all about. So it would be a disgrace to uh, take his name of, off of that fort. You know, but at the same time, let's face it, the political sentiment today is you don't have monuments, you don't have forts named for Confederate generals who, as many members of the population say, fought for slavery. But on the other side of the coin, true, the Confederacy did, you know, have slavery under their government, and but you got to realize something. All this thing about uh, these Confederate generals and soldiers or whatever being called traitors—that's today speaking. They were not traitors. Robert E. Lee and all these other generals, 99% of them were graduates of the United States Military Academy at West Point. Now they took an oath. They took an oath to uphold the Constitution, but the way the Constitution was taught at West Point prior to the Civil War, it was basically that the Union, meaning the U.S. government, was formed by the Constitution as a compact. Any state can withdraw from that compact and no longer be bound to that compact. So what they did was they believed was legal. 
And so when Virginia seceded, Robert E. Lee and many of the others who graduated from West Point were doing what they felt that they were taught at West Point. They were doing their duty and went along with their state. And I'll tell you one other thing that really bothers me. As you say, a lot of these monuments uh, want to be taken down. But the latest thing happened this past week. The House of Delegates in Richmond, Virginia. Now, I've done a special program there for Lee Jackson Day, which is usually between Robert E. Lee's birthday and Stonewall Jackson's birthday. Now, in that House of Delegates, the old chamber is a, is a museum, and they have many busts of famous Virginians, such as Patrick Henry, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and, of course, Jeff Stewart, Stonewall Jackson, uh, even Sam Houston, who was born in Virginia. Now, in the middle of that room is a statue of Robert E. Lee. That statue is situated exactly where Robert E. Lee was standing, and this is on April the 23rd, 1861, after he left the United States Army. And in that chamber, he was offered the command of the Virginia forces to defend Virginia. Now, what they did this past week, they took his statue out of there. And they took all the other busts of those other Virginians out of there. But the main thing I just wanted to say is that Robert E. Lee was not a traitor at all. He was there to protect his home, his family, Virginia. President Eisenhower said that years ago when asked about why do you admire Robert E. Lee. He had a portrait of Robert E. Lee in the Oval Office. Can you imagine today that the President of the United States, either Democrat or Republican, had a portrait of Robert E. Lee in the Oval Office? He admired Robert E. Lee. But that's the thing. Robert E. Lee is probably one of America's greatest military heroes, Americans. 1977, the last surviving five-star general of the United States, Omar Bradley, was asked, who do you think was America's greatest general? And he said, Robert E. Lee. So just to take down a great American such as Robert E. Lee, it's, it's shameful. It really is. That, that's what I have to say about that. They took Sam Houston's uh, statue down, too? No, they haven't taken Sam Houston. Okay. The ironic thing about Sam Houston is that he's the only person who ever was uh, governor of two states. He was the governor of Tennessee and the governor of Texas. And while he was governor of Texas, he wanted Texas to stay in the Union. But then because of uh, the legislature there and the will of the people, they wanted to withdraw from the Union. And so when they withdrew from, drew from the Union, Sam Houston was basically kicked out of office. And um, he was for the Union, but Sam Houston was also a slave owner. That's another ironic thing. It's a complicated war. It was so complicated back then. You had people in the North who had uh, you know, aligned themselves with the South, and people from the South who aligned themselves with the North. It was so complicated. But it's got to be a point where not only statues are coming down, but names are coming down. School names are coming down. Um, my wife and I, we were married at Washington and Lee University back on April 9, 1988. And uh, just recently, there's talk about changing the name, getting rid of Lee, you know, from Washington to Lee University. And if you go into the uh, Lee Chapel there, we were uh, married in front of that statue, the uh, recumbent statue by Valentine of Robert E. Lee, where he's resting on the battlefield. To protect that statue, they put an iron gate. I mean, it's a shame of what everything has been coming to. And then finally, I just want to say one more thing, because I know I'm going on and on, and I'm really sorry about that, is that not only Confederate statues are being attacked, but Union statues are being attacked. Uh, and all these statues basically came between 1890. That was the equestrian statue of, of Robert E. Lee in Richmond. And from 1890 to 1920, just prior to World War I, that's when a lot of these, you know, military organizations for the Union and the Confederacy had the money to erect statues of their heroes. And one such hero who's being condemned today fought for the Union, George Armstrong Custer. Custer has an equestrian statue in Monroe, Michigan. And he is there in his Union uniform, technically on the field of Gettysburg, and it's called Sighting the Enemy. Now, lately, there's been a group that want to take down Custer's statue. Matter of fact, the spokesman for that group, and I quote, he's like Monroe's hometown Hitler. But can you imagine that, comparing George Armstrong Custer with Adolf Hitler? 
it's just gotten out of hand. All these, you know, things about taking the monuments away and changing names. It's American history. That's what I just want to say about that. I mean, they're taking on everybody. <laughs> There's even talk about taking John Wayne statue out of the uh, airport in Glendale, uh, California. I mean, nobody loves America more than John Wayne. So uh, I know I've been yapping a little bit too much, but uh, I hope I answered your question. Well, thank you for bringing a different point of view to the show. Because right now, I think there are very few people that are willing to defend Confederate generals being named or the, the names of Confederate generals being retained on so many U.S. military installations. And don't forget, they're American. They're American generals. They're American generals, and you have to put yourself in their shoes. You can't, you know, our values today are totally different from the 1850s, 1860s. But anybody who graduates from West Point yesterday or today or even tomorrow, they will be asked, who do you think were America's greatest generals? And I guarantee you, Robert E. Lee will be in the top five. I guarantee you that. Pat? You there, Michael? Well, yes. Interesting as always. Thank you for being on Connor's Corner. Well, thank you. It was an honor. And uh, like I said, you got to just keep the conversation open. That's the key right there. Let's keep talking. Don't tear things down. Just keep talking. Okay? All right. Amen. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit ccbq.org. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. You know, next next on our show is an old friend of the show, Senator Surf Maltese, who served us in the State Senate and for, for many, many years in Queens. And we just thought we'd have him on and talk about some reflections. But one of the things, you know, our buddy Joe Piscopo, he's, you know, pretty hepped up about people taking out statues of Christopher Columbus thinking it's insult to the you know to the Italians in this country surf do you have any comments on that <laughs> well you know very well I'm going to have comments on that uh, in addition to my other titles uh, I've been a long time uh, chairman of the Christopher Columbus Association Mike and uh, I want to advise you that first of all I think it was an important factor the uh, uh, taking down of the Columbus statues, taking down of the Civil War statues, taking down a lot of America's heroes. So I think it was an important factor in the election. I think it was an underrated factor, but I definitely think the attack by the iconoclist class against Columbus uh, were a factor in so many Italian-Americans who were traditionally Democrat voting Republican or voting conservative. So I think it's a factor, but uh, certainly I, individually, personally, and, and as chairman of the Columbus Association, but also I'm, I'm by the way, a cavaliere united by the Italian government, so I'm not unbiased in any respect <laughs> at all. Uh, Completely you know, neutral. But I, I, yeah, I'm not neutral, but the fact of the matter is, it was an attack on Italian-Americans. This, 
the the selection of Columbus statues by many rioters and and uh, protesters to deface them and topple them and what have you was and the remarks they made fascists and what have you obviously the majority of those protesters and and uh, iconoclasts uh, were not history buffs and didn't know enough of it. They, they couldn't di- differentiate between civil war figures pro lincoln pro pro union which i'm sure you know all about uh but the fact of the matter is when a protester toppled a statue of columbus the italian american community arose in arms in 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 defiance uh, you know in running our organization we we formed it many years ago my, myself and uh, ann paolucci uh she was um, uh, very active in, in, through her husband in the conservative party, Henry Paolucci, but also she was the uh, administrator of the SUNY. Complete, uh, Governor Pataki had appointed her. But at any rate, we formed the Italian, the uh, Christopher Columbus Association, and to be honest, until about seven years ago, it had become dormant and passed away and so on. Well, because of the attacks on Columbus, we revived it and found a hell of a lot of people were joining us for a lot of different reasons. And it's only recently, in the last year or two, that we went above, you know, on Facebook, people can join your group and you approve them and so on. And we found that we were getting scores of people going to join the Christopher Columbus Association because they wanted to defend Italian-American heritage. And... And to be honest, I was very happy, very glad about it. And if you go on the site, and it's a Facebook page, anybody can access Christopher Columbus Association. You can find out that we just recently passed the 2,800 member mark. And we, we gloried in that because we felt that it was a way of uniting uh, Italian-American groups. And locally in Brooklyn and Queens, we were already affiliated with Commendatory. Now Tony Di Piazza, who you might who you might remember, is very active in the Ridgewood Glendale area, uh, and roughly 25 Italian American organizations in Brooklyn and Queens. Let me ask you something. What are the attacks about uh, against Columbus? And and I mean, I get so disgusted by them, but. What exactly are they saying, and is any merit to their attacks? No, Mike, there really isn't. They're attacking him for kill, for killing Indians, and it just was not so. He was brought back, uh, as my wife Constance had made uh, a portrait, the older Columbus. It was a portrait surrounding Columbus with chains because he was brought back by Queen Isabella in chains as a captive, because he had been too easy, in their words, on the Indians. He was he was a strong Roman Catholic, well, Roman, strong Catholic. It, in his final years, he uh, took orders in the Catholic Church. Uh, and, he, I mean, I can't even understand how this has happened. Well, in a way, I can. Uh, apparently, there was uh, a historian... Bartolomo de la Casa, something like that, who portrayed him as not only a dictator but a tyrant and a killer who was only interested in gold. And that just was not so. Uh, Queen Isabella changed her mind when Columbus defended himself, and he refused to have them take the chains off until they said that they, they were not charging him any longer because he said, I want to show that I came here after what I've done for Spain and Queen Isabella and King Ferdinand, he said that I should be brought back in chains. And, you know, in his treatment, I think the the basic Indians that he uh, cooperated with were Tainos, T-A-I-N-O. And they joined with him. I mean, for the first um, six months, uh, he worked closely with them. They were, they, they were friendly. Don't forget this was at a time when the various Indian tribes took slaves themselves. In other words, when they would engage in a war, in warfare, they would take the prisoners, 
of the other side and either make them a servile task, perform servile tasks, or sell them, or in some cases not, not affiliated with Columbus, uh, sacrifice them. So you did not have uh, 2020, the times of 2020. You had the times of the 14th and 15th century, a totally different environment, a totally different attitude. And it, it's entirely impossible to reconcile the conflicting views that Columbus was so good to the, to, to the Indians and at the same time was a tyrant. He was not, and he was certainly not interested in the gold. He was interested in the gold as far as showing Queen Isabella that it was going to be useful, the new world was going to be useful, but that's it. And since the Italian-Americans have adopted him as practically their patron saint, I think when you attack Columbus nowadays, it's with a recognition that you're attacking not only Columbus, but Italian-American culture, Italian-American traditions, and that's the way the Italian-Americans feel about it. It's the way I feel about it. And when we did any kind of surveys among our, our members, our new members especially, who weren't of Italian heritage, many of them, we asked them what attracted them, and it was the fact that, number one, they were defending Columbus, number two, they were uh, defending Italian heritage, and number three, they were defending American heritage as part of our history and culture. You know, I think there's a tendency uh, for some people to think that the Native American culture back then was very superior to the Western Christian culture of Columbus. You know, but there, like you said, there was human sacrifice. There was cannibalism in a, in a lot of part of the, you know, different tribes in, in, in back then. I mean, and, and people. Yeah, and I think I think many of the defenders of the the indigenous really totally put a blind eye toward, you know, the Aztecs and, and many of the others uh, who, I mean, they engaged in human sacrifice to the extent that you, in some cases, they would kill or slaughter uh, their, their foes, the uh, tribal members of their opposing uh, uh, opposition, to wholesale slaughter. And they found, even recently, they found sites in Mexico, Peru, and other South American and Central American countries where they found literally hundreds, and I believe even more than that, into the thousands of bodies from the 14th, 15th, and 16th centuries. Yeah, and I, I think it's important to, to, you know, to go into the fact, too, that uh, the main reason that the Native American population was something that nobody could have foreseen, illness, Nobody could have yes, foreseen that right. at the time. I mean, out here in, in Brooklyn, I understand there was a uh, a large settlement near Marine Park, Sheepshead Bay area, and they just were wiped out by disease. No combat, no war, no shooting. Just They, they just kind of were wiped out by contact with the Europeans in the area just from disease without any conflict armed conflict whatsoever. Mike, that's a damn good point because the fact of the matter is that was the, we can understand it now in the days of COVID-19 uh, probably better than before, but it was the same thing in our American West. It was not deliberate in, in, in the vast majority of the cases. It was because of contact with people that have absolutely no immunity, no natural immunity, and they would die by the thousands of, of many of the diseases that the Americans or the people who were in the United States at the time were, had, were relatively immune to. Now, let's change the subject slightly. Surf, you're, you're you know, Italian immigrant family. Your grandfather went through a horrific experience about a hundred years ago or so. Can you explain to the audience what happened to him? Oh, sure. Uh, my grandfather, who I was named after, his name in Italian is Serafino, and in Italian it's pronounced Serafino. And my, I was named after him. The first son would always be named after the grandfather. And uh, he came over to America. He was a, 
in the army and military in Italy and relatively educated uh, for, for immigrants of the time. And he came over about 1909, and he did like so many other uh, peop- immigrants did. He got together uh, sufficient money to send for his family. And in 1911, his wife, Katharina, his uh, two sons, my father, Paolo, and Vito, his brother, and three daughters, uh, Lucia, Rosaria, and Maria, came over. They were, it, it's a, the story that tells the story of Italian immigration to the United States and what they had to cope with. On the ship coming over, Maria, his youngest daughter, she was four years old, got sick, and she was admitted to Ellis Island Hospital, and she was one of the fatalities at Ellis Island Hospital. She perished a few days later. Imagine sending for your family, having them come over, and then on their arrival, your four-year-old daughter dies. He, he was confronted, he and the family were confronted with that. The family lived on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, and they, his, his wife, Katharina, and his two daughters, one was 17, the other was 14, went to work in the Triangle Factory. It was called the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory at the time at West 4th Street in that area. On March 25, 1911, a fire broke out. Uh, on the, uh, they had uh, uh, two, two floors of the, uh, 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 eight, eight, three floors, eight, nine, and ten. The fire took something like less than 15 minutes. It killed 146 people, the vast majority women and the vast majority uh, Jewish and Italian. And Unfortunately, fire hoses couldn't reach the 8th, ninth, and 10th floor. Unfortunately, the doors had been bolted by greedy, by greedy factory owners, and they, the, many of the women had to throw themselves from the windows to their deaths on the sidewalks below. It was the largest workplace incident in the United States up until 9-11, 146 uh, People, uh, uh, workers, the majority women, uh, and by majority I mean like out of 146, over 100, had perished. And my grandmother, Katharina, her two daughters, Lucia, my aunts, Lucia and Rosaria, perished. So here's an immigrant, sends for his family, comes over here, is making a living as a shoemaker, and within on arrival, he loses his four-year-old daughter, and three or four years later, he loses all the women in the family, leaving my father and my uncle to be brought up by my grandfather, Serafino. And this, it was, it was the largest outpouring of grief-stricken uh, people in, in New York at the time for many, for probably uh, close to 100 years. Because people turned out by the thousands for the ceremonies, for the funeral cortages, and uh, and it was a terrible it was a terrible tragedy. That still, uh, I'm I'm also uh, uh, a chair of the Triangle Fire Memorial Association, which we formed. And while the second generation and the third generation people are dying out, uh, except for a few old timers like myself. But fortunately, our children are continuing the services and the ceremonies, and we do them at Christ the King every year. Because of COVID-19, we passed up the memorial service this year, but we have already picked our uh, awardees for March 25th, 2021, which will be held at Christ the King, and we'll be publicizing it. And by the way, anybody interested in that group, it is also a Facebook group, Triangle Memorial Association, on uh, on social media, and we have uh, uh, close to 2,000 members. As we lose our older members, the uh, uh, their their children and grandchildren are joining us. 
So it's, it's, it, 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 it's an indication of how important immigration was to us here in America. I was born here, but I closely identify naturally with, with my ancestors and with my grandfather, my grandmother, uh, and, and others. Uh, and a, as do a lot of, uh, many, many first and second generation Americans, and we're hoping that it's carried through with, our, with their children and their cho- grandchildren. Surf, as we used to say in the conservative party, you know, keep up the good fight. Thank you for, you know, preserving history and reminding us how hard some of these immigrants had it. And Christopher Columbus is kind of the symbol of Italian-American immigrants. Thank you. And thanks for your program, Mike, for bringing it to the attention of so many people and for your friendship and your community involvement. You, your son, Michael, your, your wife, Beth, are very important parts of our Brooklyn and New York City and New York State community. Thank you again. Thank you, sir. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a, a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, but if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org today. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646. Or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646 and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. Thanks again to Surf Maltese. And again, Surf Maltese was, was a member, or is a member of the Catholic War Veterans. Well, Mike, you are too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I served in Germany for two and a half years, three-year you know, enlistment back in the early 70s. And from my point of view, it was a... You know, it was a good time. You know, General Scales was on this show a couple of years ago, and he says that people that were in the peacetime army, it's usually one of the great experiences. People that are in the the wartime army sometimes have a different perspective on it. Um, Well, your father was in the wartime. Yeah, but he says, retrospect, everybody is glad they served. Yeah, my father was in uh, World War II. He was in in the 36th Infantry Division, the Texas Division, and... uh, my understanding is he saw some very heavy fighting, that of the 200 guys he crossed the Rhine with them, only 11 came out in one piece at the end of the war. And at the end of the war, he was in Dachau and was later stationed near Munich. And, uh, you know, after the war, was a military policeman at the end at the end of the war, the end of the war or the end of his service time while he was waiting to get rotated back to the States. And, you know, he had two uncles who were in the Merchant Marine. One uncle was 
one of my uncles was uh, shot torpedo twice, one time in the Atlantic and one time in the Pacific. Um, so he had some stories to tell after the war. And of course, my grandfather was in the Merchant Marine also. He was a sea captain. He was in the Spanish-American War. He was in World War I. Um, so, you know, I, I guess our family has done a little part, you know, in defense of our country. Done a lot, you know, and a lot of these people come back and they don't talk about it very much. Did your dad tell you very much about what happened over there? No, not at all. I heard, like, one of the articles about the 11 out of 200, uh, one, one of our friends who's reading World War II magazine articles told us about it. And he he was able to survive because he swam the river. And the story yeah. is, you know, he used to swim out here, the Verrazano Straits. So I guess if you can swim in the Hudson River going into the ocean, that was good training, you know? Yeah, but, but let's, you know, let's hear it. We lost, and I don't want to even name them all because I'm going to forget somebody or overlook somebody, but all the World War II veterans that we lost in the last nine months, some from COVID, some from not. But, and listen, yeah, nobody, none of them died. I think the youngest that I know was probably 96 years of age. But let's remember all those World War II veterans because we're getting to the point where it's, we're talking about the last leaf here and there of, of World War II veterans. They understood, they understood that there's evil out there. Sometimes I think we in the United States, at least the younger people, don't know that there's some bad people that want to take over things. And once they take over, um, you lose your freedoms. So, man, they were, your dad and his contemporaries, they were they were fighting the Nazis, and then they were nervous about the communists. I mean, it's they, they knew things weren't pretty. All right, well, I guess we ran out of time. We got David Kincaid on hollow ground. I guess we are on hollow ground today talking about our honored dead. God bless them. Whenever you get a chance, whenever we get a chance, thank those who serve. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, the voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, the voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away.